0: A couple of weeks ago, I took a test to see how well I know my Bible. There are some phrases we say, we post on plaques and bumper stickers, we hang up in our living room. We think they're in the Bible, but they're not. I scored an 80%. So let's see how you do. I'm going to share a handful of quotes with you and see if you can tell me if it's from the good book or just good Shakespeare or just good history. Let's start with an easy fastball right down the heart of the plate. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Is that in the Bible? (laughs) Sure it is. That's John 3.16. You might have even seen that on a poster in the end zone on Super Bowl Sunday. How about this one? Ask not what your country can do for you, but ask what you can do for your country. Of course, that's not in the Bible. That's from John F. Kennedy. How about this one? To love another person is to see the face of God. Is that in the Bible? If you said no, you are right, because that was Victor Hugo from Les Mis. Here's another one. A feast is made for laughter, and wine makes merry, but money answers everything. Is that in the Bible, or is that just good sage wisdom? If you said Bible, you are right. That's found in Ecclesiastes. Here's one we hear a lot. For money is the root of all evil. Is that in the Bible? It's close, but it's a misquote. The love of money is the root of all evil. (laughs) Here's one for all of our fellows out there. The man whose hair has fallen from his head, he is bald, but he is clean. Now, is that scripture? Or did a follically challenged man write that just to cheer up the troops? Well, if you guessed that was in the Bible, you are absolutely right. That is in the Bible. That is Leviticus 1340. So there you go. Last one. God helps those who help themselves. A lot of our grandparents used to say that one, but is it scripture? And if you said no, you're right. That was our friend Ben Franklin who said that. How did you do? Did you get them all right? There are a lot of quotes we hear that sound like they're from the Bible, but that last one, that one does get used a lot, especially by grandparents or parents who tell their kids, hey, you know, God helps those who help themselves. That's in the Bible. But here is a principle we do see all throughout the Bible, even though the verse is not there. God helps those who can't help themselves. And I want to tell you a story all about that right after this. Good day to you, Simplify listeners. You are listening to L.J. Harry, and you are listening to God Helps Those Who Can't Help Themselves on Simplify. It's an oft-forgotten story found in the Word of God tucked away among the battles of King David. If you blow the dust off the book of Second Samuel, you'll see him sitting there. His name is hard to spell. It's even harder to pronounce. His name is Mephibosheth. He was Jonathan's son. Jonathan was King Saul's son. Mephibosheth was royalty. Mephibosheth was only five years old when we first meet him. There's a very good chance Mephibosheth will be one of Israel's next kings. Baby Mephibosheth wore a bib that read, If you think my dad is cool, you should see my granddad. And there was a little crown at the top of the bib. Prince Jonathan's staff served Mephibosheth's every wish and whim. Would you like more milk, Master Mephibosheth? Want another blanket, Master Mephibosheth? Want to play on my phone, Master Mephibosheth? As long as Mephibosheth lived well, he may be the heir apparent to his granddad and his dad. King Mephibosheth had a nice ring to it. But suddenly, Mephibosheth's world stopped spinning. There was war between the Philistines and Israelites. Mephibosheth's dad and granddad both went to battle, but in the heat of the battle, the Philistine archers drew back their bows, launched their arrows, and killed both King Saul and Prince Jonathan on Mount Gilboa in battle. In one battle, Mephibosheth lost his dad, his granddad, Israel lost their king and their prince. When Mephibosheth's nurse His nanny heard the news. She knew five-year-old Mephibosheth might be next. She scooped up the little guy and started to run. And as she was running for her life and for his, she stumbled and fell and sent Mephibosheth crashing to the ground. She jumped back up, but five-year-old Mephibosheth could not. He was writhing in pain, reaching for his leg. "I, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't move my leg. That one fall sentenced him to be handicapped for the rest of his life. She scooped him back up and kept running and did not stop until she made it to a little village called Lodabar. A man named Makir lived there, and when he heard about Mephibosheth's fall, he took the little kindergartner in and sheltered him in his house in Lodabar. For one brief verse in Second Samuel 4, the spotlight follows this little guy from the palace through his crippling fall all the way to Makir's house in Lodabar. Then the spotlight pans back to the palace. Everything was changing in Jerusalem. All of Israel gathered around a former sheep-herding, giant-slaying young man named David, and they crowned him to be Israel's next king. King David. Now that really had a nice ring to it. For 20 years, life was turning up roses for David in Jerusalem. Israel grew to nearly 10 times her original size. David was winning his wars until he finally brought Israel to a time of peace. But during those 20 years of his legendary leadership, David could not escape one promise he made to his best friend, Jonathan. Jonathan knew his family was as good as gone when he was gone, so he asked his best friend, soon to be King David, to be kind to his family. And one day during their morning briefing, David was asking questions like he always did. How's the economy? Oh, your master, the economy is booming. We've got more money than we know how to spend. In fact, we just built a bowling alley just for left-handed bowlers. That's how much money we've got. How's the army? Oh, the army's doing great. They're a little bored with the whole peace thing and all, but barbershop quartets are popping up all over the ranks. They're they're doing just fine. Then after 20 years of sitting on the throne, David asked his next question. Is there anyone left of the house of Saul I could show kindness to for Jonathan's sake? Everything fell silent. You could hear a needle drop into a haystack. David's advisors looked up from their clipboards. Kindness? The Saul's family? Is there anyone left? They looked at each other, flipped through the clipboards. Where did this come from? This isn't on the agenda. Aren't all Saul's family members dead? It's been 20 years. And one of the advisors remembered one of Saul's servants named Zeba. They ushered him into the throne room and David asked, is there still someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? Now, this was unusual. Why would this king want to be kind to his predecessor's family? His predecessor was not kind to him at all. Zeba searched his mind until he remembered someone. He said, yeah, yeah, there is somebody. Jonathan still has a son alive, or I think he's alive. He's, he's been 20 years, but he's lame in both his feet. Your Majesty, all due respect, this guy is still alive, maybe, but if he is, he's crippled. You don't want him. Where is he? Uh, Sir, you don't understand. Look around. Whom do you see? You see generals, the wealthy, the wise, the brave. King David, this is the palace. Only the elite walk these floors. This boy can't even walk. That label of lame followed Mephibosheth around like a shadow. Where is he? Please, sir, listen to me. He has no money, no education, no formal training. It's been 20 years since he lived here. He's probably scruffy, scraggly. I mean, I mean, who even knows what he looks like, what he smells like? But David didn't ask if there was anyone wealthy or wise or worthy. He just asked if there was anyone who needs a little grace. I hear the same call from our king. Is there anyone listening to this episode who just needs some grace? Is there anyone who fell years ago, maybe decades ago, who can't help themselves back up, but they need God's grace? You don't have to be wealthy. You don't have to be wise. None of us will ever be worthy. But nearly 2,000 years ago, while Jesus was suspended between heaven and earth on a cross for six hours, he was simply asking, is there anyone who needs some grace? Is there anyone who needs to be redeemed? Is there anyone whose sins I can forgive? Is there anyone I can save? Is there anyone who just needs some grace? I'm so glad God's grace is not earned. His grace is freely given. And what I feel while sharing this story, what you feel while hearing it, is a question from the King of Kings nearly 2,000 years ago asking, is there anyone who needs grace? David asked Zeba, where is he? And Zeba told him, he lives with a guy named Makir in Lodabar. You know, your Hebrew, your majesty, Lodabar means without pasture. Lodabar was the other side of the tracks before there were tracks. Nothing good in Lodabar. Nothing grows in Lodabar. I'm sure he looks like Lodabar. No doubt he smells like Lodabar. I tell you what, your majesty, you give me a little time and I will find an Ivy League grad to serve in your cabinet who will fit in better with the castle crowd. But David wasn't looking for Mephibosheth to bless him. He was looking to bless Mephibosheth. He sent a royal car service to pick him up and bring him back to the palace. And I want you to feel what Mephibosheth felt. He was sitting on Maker's couch eating Doritos, watching Judge Judy when he heard horse hooves outside the window. He craned his neck a little to look out the window and he saw what he feared he would see for the last 20 years. He saw two big, beautiful black suburban chariots with the royal seal of King David on the door of each. He faintly remembered riding in those chariots when he was royalty but this was it they finally found him he wanted to run but he couldn't even walk he probably wondered in that moment what took them for so long it's been 20 years but his thought was interrupted by a loud hard knock on the front door we we're on dispatch from king david here for hey how do you how do you pronounce the... what... How's it what M- it? sheath no answer from a Maybe they'll think he's not home and they'll go away. Maybe they'll think they got the wrong house. Another knock. We have royal orders from King David to bring Mephibosheth Mephibosheth with us back to Jerusalem. They mumbled for a while, then the door swung wide open, and there they were. The palace guard was taller than Mephibosheth remembered. Are you Mephibosheth? He nodded. Lying would do no good. The crutches gave him away. Now, if you were Mephibosheth, how would you feel? They lifted him into the chariot, snapped the reins. The horses broke into a gallop and left Makir's house and Lodabar in the dust. That was the last he would taste freedom. Yes, he was crippled. Yes, he was a fugitive, but he was still alive. All of that was about to change. They came to a stop in front of the palace. They opened the door, pulled Mephibosheth out, and with one guard on each side, helped him to the throne room. It was bigger. It was nicer than he remembered. Mephibosheth liked what David had done with the place, and there in front of him, seated on the throne where his granddad used to sit, was King David, surrounded by the palace guard. David still had that bright red beard, Mephibosheth remembered. Mephibosheth fell on his face in front of the king, and King David called him by name. He said, Mephibosheth, and Mephibosheth replied, I am your servant. David must have known what Mephibosheth felt because the next sentence was baptized in compassion. David calmly, kindly said, Fear not, for I will surely show you kindness for your father Jonathan's sake, and I will restore to you all the land of your grandfather Saul, and you will eat at my table continually. Then David turned to Zeba, who didn't think Mephibosheth belonged with the castle crowd. And he said, As for Mephibosheth, he shall eat at my table just like one of my sons. King David adopted a 25-year-old paralytic who could offer him nothing as one of his sons. King David adopted Mephibosheth, not because Mephibosheth deserved it, but because he needed it. And Second Samuel closes with, So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he ate continually at the king's table, and he was lame in both his feet. What amazing grace. If you don't think you belong in God's church because you see it as a place for the perfect, you don't understand grace. God's grace is not earned. God's grace is freely given. And God's grace and God's church are both gifts to everyone who needs them. I thank God for his amazing grace. Let's do that together, shall we? Let's thank God together for his amazing grace. And if you feel like you don't fit in with a castle crowd, you feel like you don't fit in with the church going folk, would you just thank God that he showed grace to you and he has a family he would love to adopt you into to give you what you desperately need, but none of us deserve. God, thank you today for your grace. You are so abundantly good to us, better than we deserve I thank you this day for your kindness and your goodness and your grace. When I see what David did for Mephibosheth, it's a portrait of what you have done for us and what you do for us. I pray for everyone listening, whether they have walked with you all their life or they have fallen and they feel like they don't belong. I pray, God, you would show them grace. I pray, God, you would adopt everyone into your family who desperately needs your grace and need your spirit and your name to adopt them. I pray today, Jesus, minister to all of those who are listening, those who feel your touch today, who feel your grace. Reach out to them, God, and let them experience the wonderful, amazing grace you still show to all of us who need it. I pray this today in the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. If you are a Mephibosheth out there, maybe a fall stripped you of what you used to have. Maybe a fall took away what you used to love and enjoy. Maybe you were doing great. You were walking with God, but you fell, and you feel like you don't deserve, or you you haven't merited the right to be a part of God's church or to be with God's family. Would you please reach out today to somebody, text them, and say, I'm ready to come home. I want to come home. I want to be a part of what God is doing. God is ready. He's just waiting on you. I hope this episode's been a blessing and a help to you. If it has, please share it with somebody. Be sure to click subscribe so you never miss another time another episode drops on Simplify so you can keep learning and growing and walking with God through Simplify with all of us. I've got a couple resources I'd love for you to get. There are a couple books I've written. One is called Simplify. It's the devotional that launched this podcast. And there's a book called Ten Words, a practical look at the Ten Commandments. And you can get both of those at pentecostalpublishing.com. In print, you can get them on Kindle at Amazon, or if you live here in Mount Vernon, Ohio, or Knox County, Ohio, you can stop by Paragraphs on South Main Street and pick up either one of those books, and 10 Words is also available for Audible, so if you prefer to listen rather than read, you can get 10 Words that way as well. I'm excited to announce we are quickly approaching 90,000 downloads for this podcast. I'm so thankful that you're a part of this Simplify listening audience and thankful you're willing to share this with others you feel it might be a blessing. So please continue to share and we'll continue to climb to 90,000 downloads together and celebrate when we get there. Next week, I want to share with you an episode called The Story of the Sower. I'm looking forward to sharing that with you next week. And always look forward to walking closer with Jesus as we walk through Simplify.